You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast, more to the story, where we go into more of what was preached on Sunday and what we're going to be preaching about next Sunday. Today, we have with us Pastor Drew Tarwater. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. Pastor Darren Enns. How's it going? And I'm Rob Lazzi. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have a question that you're going, that you ever think when someone's preaching on Sunday and going, I wish I could ask a question or a follow-up question, shoot that to us at life at forefrontchurch.tv. If you want to email it to us or put it on the connection card and drop it in the box in the back if you're in the if you're at church. But reach out to us. We'd love to hear your questions and ways we can help you out. So, but Drew. Last weekend, you preached about Exodus 1. Give us, the, give us the overview. Yeah, we kicked off our new Exodus series, and we end Genesis and move straight into Exodus, and we see that there's been this 400-year gap between when Joseph and the family uh, of Jacob moves to Israel, or from Israel, Canaan, to Egypt, and there were 70 people. And we have 400, around 430 years gap between the end of Genesis and Exodus chapter 1. And we see by the time we get to Exodus chapter 1, the nation of Israel, this family has exploded. They've been having babies and babies and babies. And uh, they think, um, you know, of course, it's hard to know for sure, but uh, many estimates gauge that the the family of Jacob now is between 600,000 and a million people. And there's just Whoa. this huge family. And now they've occupied Egypt and um, the Egyptian rulers, Pharaoh and, 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 you know, the royal court, they basically feel threatened because Israel's so big. And so at some point in that 400 years, they set taskmasters over Israel and they had them start building these storehouse cities like Ramses and Python. And eventually the Israelite people become enslaved to the Egyptians. And so when we start the book of Exodus, Israel, this family are are now slaves to the Egyptians and there's some serious oppression going on. But in the story, no matter what Pharaoh tries to do to hold God's people down, God's people continue to grow. And so there's this really interesting dynamic going on between Pharaoh and, and, and uh, the, the power of God and his people at play here, um, which sets up the rest of Exodus where we move into seeing God raising up Moses. That's incredible. 600,000 to around a million people. Serious, I mean, that's man. a that's a mid-market size town like <laughs> in the United States. It's not a small number. Right. I came from a town of 3,000 people. That's, that's a bit, I was just trying to much. <laughs> I was just trying to do the uh, population Google size of Denver just in what's its Denver well, is around like, seven in 2019 Denver was around just over 700,000 people. Now that's just the metro area of Denver. Yeah. Well, you think of Raleigh Durham or like Charlotte, yeah. right? Like a million people in Raleigh Durham, yet they've got you yeah. know, pro hockey teams, they got three universities. You know, so you think of that size of group, you're right. I mean, it oh, can support yeah. a lot. Yeah, and so you could see why, I mean, a group that size could overtake 
you know, I don't know how big the Egyptian population was there. Do you have any idea how big it, the Egyptians were then? You know, I didn't read any estimates on that at the time. But I mean, they were clearly fearful because of what Pharaoh's actions were with the newborn sons. Right. Yeah. And so the question I had in this is jumping to verse 19 is where the midwives were Pharaoh commands the Israelite midwives to kill the sons that were born. And the midwives respond to Pharaoh. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive, which it seems like an excuse. It doesn't, it seems like a, a deception to the government. Drew, is this, it, it doesn't seem like they're being completely forthright. Yeah. So the, the little, little context, you know, Rob, on your question, um, at, at this point, we've got the Pharaoh is really upset that slavery hasn't held down the, the Israelites. And so he gives this, this, basically this um, command to these Hebrew midwives, these Egyptian women who were uh, basically helping raise the, you know, helping the, the, the Israelite babies be born. And he says that, let the daughters live, but I want you to, to basically kill the male sons. And so he's going to mm -hmm. wipe out uh, the, the advance of the Israelite people by killing the, killing the baby boys. And they, these midwives, they, they fear God. They believe in, in the God of the Bible, and so they say no. And then... Um, they don't necessarily know that Pharaoh doesn't know they said no yet. So Pharaoh comes to him and he says, well, hey, why, why are you not listening to me? And, and they give this what appears to be a lie where they say, oh, well, they're, yeah, like you said, Rob, they're just so strong. They have the babies before we can get there. And so it does pose that question. Like, is it ever okay to lie? Is it yeah. okay to, to tell a lie? And we look back through the Bible, we see Rahab, right? Remember Rahab in uh, the book of Joshua lies to the king of Jericho. Uh, about yep. the Israelite spies. And then we talk about like Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who is, yep. uh, you know, plans to assass try to have an assassination against Hitler and gets caught. Uh, but he was deceiving Hitler to try to get to that point of assassination. And so I think it's like, that's a great question. When as Christians, is it okay for us to, to deceive someone or to even lie? And I think it comes down, if I could just give you a quick answer, which is hard yeah. to do. I think it comes down to like, what is the heart of a lie? Like when you tell a lie, like what's the heart behind it? And I think the heart of a lie is deception, but it's for your own gain, right? So your kid, mom and dad come downstairs, like who colored all over the wall with markers? You're like, it was her, you know, it was my oh, brother. It was, it, was, it was Darren. It was Darren. It was always Darren. You know, why, do, why, why is that? Well, you don't want to get in trouble. So that's for your gain. Right. Well, I think in this case, we look at Rahab, we look at these midwives, we look at Bonhoeffer, we see that there are these extreme cases where you've been asked or told to do something so wicked, or there's something crazy wicked going on, um, something crazy wicked going on, and you're, you're having to jump in and try to combat that. And so in these extreme cases, when like preserving life, I mean, this is a case of preserving life, when preserving life is on the line, um, or someone's asking you to do something really wicked, then I think a lie or a deception to advance God's causes, it's not for your gain, it's for God's gain. Then I, I, I think we see those examples in scripture that that wouldn't be seen as a sin. But ultimately, I think it comes down to discerning, am I combating evil wickedness to advance God's causes for something that's God's gain and the gain of humanity? It's not about me. 
then in that case, I think that that lie would not be seen as a sin, or that deception would not be seen as a sin because it's advancing the causes of God. But I think it takes discernment, and these are extreme cases, and this is not black and white. This is all gray. I, I think in the famous words of Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. <laughs> um, <if> you, <laughs> It, what what it, book what, was that in again? <laughs> was that Leviticus? I forget. Which right. One. Yeah. It's it, it seems to me like a, almost like a Pharisaical question that they would ask Jesus to try and trap him in something. Like, hey Jesus, is it okay to lie if if Pharaoh asks us to kill baby boys? And and Jesus would be ultimately more uh, convincing in his arguments here than we are. But I'll, I'll agree with Drew. I think it, it, the main thing is is preservation of life because that's what God's all about. And so if you're being asked to do something wicked where, where it's going to take life, um, and th- this is obviously a, a prime extreme example here in, in Exodus, then, yeah, I mean, we, you, you got to do it. You know, hiding, um, hiding uh, slaves in the Underground Railroad, um, hiding Anne Frank and her family from, from death, like, it's pretty obvious in some of those instances who the evil party is, and it's the people who are trying to take life and, and to, to be oppressive. So... Um, for us, and, and we we may not come across those types of of um, problems where we have to think about a lie, but it, it, we still have to think about that, and and don't be uh, don't take our words here and say, oh, it's fine, I can lie, and and you're trying to be discerning. Exactly. I don't think this is a, you found a loophole in God's, you know, in, in the way that God designed the world to work. I do think Darren's right. It's that discernment. It's being prayerful in this situation, but it's also realizing, um, you know, what God has called us to do. And, and it is to pr- preserve life and it is to advance his, his kingdom and, and what he wants for our lives. There's a great quote by the 16th century reformer, Martin Luther. He's talking about Rahab's line. He says this, he says, a good hearty lie for the sake of the good and for the church, a lie in case of necessity, a useful lie, would not be against God. And so those are Luther's words, not mine. But I do think it gets back to that individual situation. And so this is not a blanket, okay, it's okay to, to, to tell a lie or to, to deceive. But I think it comes back to, this is an extreme case of wickedness in Exodus chapter 1. I mean, we're talking extreme genocide, Um to, to, to things we can't even imagine. I mean, we, we think about abortion in our time and day. I mean, just horrible, terrible things. And I think God wants us to preserve life and to care for the unborn and, and for the little ones that he's placed around us. And so in this case, we see that God actually blesses the midwives, which would lead you to believe that in this case, then God, uh, that, that, that decision to deceive was not against God. Yeah, it, no, it reminds me... <laughs> <laughs> it reminds you like what I, I just finished the Bonhoeffer book by Eric Mateus. And it, it reminded me of kind of where he, what uh, Bonhoeffer was, he kind of came to the conclusion that he wasn't sure if he was doing was right or wrong, but he was willing to answer to God for what his decisions were. And yeah. it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of the same thing where it's like, if, if you're willing to answer to God for what your decisions were and how you came to it, you know, you spent time in prayer and thinking about the decisions. It's not, it wasn't made on the whim. I think it's a really good way of saying it. If you're making so, this decision, are you, are you okay with taking your lumps for one from the decision you've made? And then two, can you do this in good conscience in the eyes of God? I think that's a, that's a great place to land. Yeah. Uh, 
Darren, when we were when we started talking about this before we started recording, you said there were some relationships between Genesis and Exodus here that was were interesting. Could you help expand on that? Yeah, yeah, it's so cool that Exodus immediately riffs off of what we know from Genesis. So if we're reading just straight through, we already see all these things firing and 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 showing us hyperlinks. Um, so the first thing that's really interesting is that there are <laughs> seventy people who come from the loins of Jacob. So Jacob has has 70 descendants right away. Wow. And that is the same number that is in Genesis chapter 10 in the table of nations. And then after that, in Genesis 11, we see uh, the story of the Tower of Babel, where they um, make a, a big tower out of bricks and mortar. And <laughs> lo and behold, we come to the story in, in Exodus chapter 1, and um, they're building things with brick. Verse 14 their lives were made bitter with hard service with mortar and brick and all kinds of work. And so we have structures being built with brick. Um, and then we have um, later on in chapter two, which I'll just touch on, God's going to choose one person in Moses through which his blessing to the nations will come. And that's the exact same thing that happens with uh, Abraham in Genesis 12. So from Genesis hmm. 10, 11, 12, we, we get almost a replay uh, with different characters and a little bit different nuances, but it, it's it's the same kind of thing happening. It's really cool to see. Also, um, Pharaoh is a he he's put forth as a a type of snake figure. I'm trying to find this verse where it says, "Let us deal shrewdly." There it is, mm-hmm. verse ten. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Um, and this word for shrewd here, if you remember back to the snake. In verse uh, chapter three, verse one, it says that the the snake was more crafty than every beast of the field. Now I will say there are different Hebrew words here. Um, there is uh, the the word in chapter three of Genesis, verse one, is arum, which is a wordplay um, on the arumim of Adam and Eve, the nakedness, and the snake was more arum. And yet the the same realm of synonym type meaning is here in verse ten that Pharaoh is, is snakish because he's being crafty. He's being shrewd and dealing with, hmm. with the Israelite people. Um, and so that it's, yeah, it's really cool to see there. And then uh, the last thing I'll point out as far as the, the words go, kind of going back to the, the, the Hebrew women are more vigorous. Um, I've always thought it's hilarious. Uh, like this, this little deception that they tell, it's like they just have their babies and go right back to making bricks. Like we, we can't, we can't get there in time. Um, the word for vigorous <laughs> Uh, it's in, in ancient languages and uh, you kind of have the it's the particle particle of existence, I think is a way to put it. It's like to be if you just say like I am, you're saying I exist. I am here or whatever. Um, the word for that in Hebrew is haya, which is what the word uh, for vigorous here is is like. It's like to to exist, to to have life. Um, and so it's they're, they're so full of life that they give life so quickly that we we can't get there um so yeah i, I just love some of these these huh. things that relate no that's so interesting and so and then thinking about a little bit with that is in like we we're talking earlier where there's like 600 to a million people with the israelites here in the egyptian country in the egyptian country in the country of egypt how come they never really it looks like they they didn't assimilate they kind of stayed to their own they weren't really in the egyptian culture yet i guess what what would you say that's for drew 
Yeah, I think it is really interesting. I mean, just imagine living where we live in Denver. You look, you, you know, walk out on, on the street or go to the mall or go on a hike and you'll see people from all different kind of places living together and walking together. But there, you, you still see a little bit of this where you have certain neighborhoods, especially in big cities back out east and on the coasts, you do see, you know, like big neighborhoods of, of a population of, of certain people groups. Um, so, you know, I think we still see a little bit of this today, but I think when you look here at Ex- back in Exodus and in, in, in the east, Egypt. Uh, I did a quick a quick search, and uh, it's estimated there were three to four and a half million Egyptians at the time of the Exodus. So, so let's just go on the high end there. There's four million Egyptians, and now there's a million there's a million uh, Israelites, right? Hebrews, and mm-hmm. so twenty percent of this entire population are, are slaves. It, it's just so interesting, and there's some theories on this as why didn't really Egypt um, invite Israel into society? Why didn't they assimilate? And, and the idea is that Egyptian, ancient Egyptians were infamous for their proud sense of racial superiority. So they believed that they were descendants from you know their their gods that we talked about back in the book of Genesis. And so they had this proud sense of superiority. There was ultimate. I mean, just you think about racism, right? I mean, you know, racism isn't a twenty. You know, isn't a a, a Western culture issue. It isn't just an American issue. I mean, it's a, a humanity issue. And so, you know, they looked at Israel and they said, "We're better than you. We don't want to assimilate with you." And eventually, enslaved them uh, because they were they were threatened. And I, I think back. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. I think back to what those conversations had to be like where the Pharaoh is talking to his cabinet and he's saying, hey, these people are too big, they're too strong. What happens if they uh, connect with our enemies? They can overtake us. And I have to think that these are similar conversations that would happen with Hitler in the late 1930s and Mao in China in the 1960s. And it's just eerily, um, you know, it's just really eerily familiar um, approach uh, to holding down God's people. And I think we can look back and say, hey, this this is a a tactic of the enemy who wants to hold back God's people. Uh, But it it started ultimately in the heart of this racial superiority of the Egyptians over the Hebrews, and it ends up Mm -hmm. leading to this place of slavery for for hundreds of years um, and terrible oppression. So it's just really a, a messy situation. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy to think about. And eventually the Israelites, at least some of them, do embrace Egyptian culture with names and things like that. And, you know, when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, just trying to get bad habits out of them, I guess, things like that, as we, kn- we know how the story continues. But Darren, why right. were the sons killed and not the daughters? Right. Uh, it, it probably makes sense to, to a lot of us here in, in the United States that, in general, so far, and I think it's kind of changing. It's getting a bit more open. That when when two people get married, um, the 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 woman will will drop her last name and adopt the last name of the man, uh, and that that extends back here to Bible times too. Um, and yet, it was a bit more extreme in ancient Near East culture. The woman um, became assimilated, absorbed into the other family, even though God at the end of Genesis uh, chapter two says, "This is why." A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. It, what we see actually playing out is that it's the, kind of the other way around, that the woman leaves her father and mother and joins her husband. And so the, the man is carrying on the family name. The, the woman um, couldn't inherit anything. And so her livelihood was tied to marrying someone and, and being a part of the family, a different family that way. And so if you kill all the baby boys, where are those women going to 
to, to, to go for, for their families. Uh, they're going to be forced to marry Egyptian men. And that means that the mm. identity of the Israelite women will eventually be absorbed into the Egyptian culture, and they'll be forced to, to do that if they marry at all. And so if over you know, 20, 40 years you don't have any men being born, um, that's, that's a problem. Uh, your culture will not last. Um, it, when we talked about um, the, the, the Chinese um, prescription mm. of, of only having one child, um, the orphanages would be full of, of baby girls because nobody wanted a, a girl because they wanted a boy to carry on their family name. And it was really, really sad. And what happened was all of a sudden um, there were far too many boys who couldn't find wives. Um, historically speaking, the birth rate of men and women is 50-50. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> so if you, if you take away one of those, there's going to be issues uh, for the others. No, it's it's interesting to think about with that, and I didn't think about with the, like the the integration there of the of the Israel Israelite women into the, you know, marrying Egyptian men. Though that makes that's an interesting point to think about with all that. Yeah, and and so. one reason why we see more wives in in the Old Testament, like a, a man would have more than one wife. Um, it so while it was not God's plan, there are certain instances where it was an act of mercy because otherwise that woman would be a widow on the streets and, and have to beg for food. And so to, to marry another woman would be to bring someone else into your house to shelter them and protect them and give them life. And so um, there's, there's kind of a duality of that. Yeah, it wasn't how God wanted it. And yet at the same time, it was almost a, a blessing. And that's kind of what the story in Genesis is a 38 uh, of Judah and Tamar is, mm-hmm. and, and Tamar is about. Right. Where Tamar is is widowed um, several times and Judah is supposed to be the one by ancient custom to to uh, bring her into his house. And he doesn't. And so this is where Tamar tricks him into doing it. Um, And it's it's kind of twisted and it's a weird story when we read it. But at the end, Judah isn't doing his his part. And then when we see Judah in the next story, he has transformed into this guy who's willing to sacrifice himself for his youngest brother, Benjamin. That's something we didn't talk much about in the story of Joseph, but um, Judah's transformation from the guy who's willing to sell Joseph into slavery in chapter 37, and then later on after he has this experience with Tamar, um, he becomes the guy who's willing to sacrifice himself. It's a really cool story where this this woman forces him to, to do what he should, and then he changes because of that. And that's also one thing I'll, I'll end on. Um, these, and we're going to see in the next story too, and in chapter two, there's women who are usurping the power of the one man, Pharaoh. God's working through all these women in amazing ways to preserve his people. And it's really cool to see how, how women are, are, are put in that, in, in that character of, of preserving his line here at the beginning of, of Exodus. So going on that, Drew, what's what are we talking about next week? What's what's on the uh, what's up? What's on deck for Sunday? Yeah, Darren, that was a nice uh, setup for a teaser <laughs> for next week. Yeah, next week we see the birth of Moses. Uh, we get to see uh, Moses, his um, you know Moses ultimately uh, you know falling out of favor in in Egypt and having to flee, and then we see God revealing Himself to Moses through the burning bush. And it's going to be a really cool thread to see how God works through that and how God uses weak things to oppose the powerful. And so I'm really excited for us to walk through Moses next week. And, um, you know, we can, we can learn a little bit more about that burning bush, too, because that thing's all, it's been always so fascinating to me. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially out here in Denver, people have uh, missing, have some strange imp- interpretations of what the burning bush is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Pastor Drew, thank you for your thoughts. Uh, thanks, Rob. Appreciate you. Pastor Darren, thank you for your thoughts as well. Pleasure as always. I'm Rob Blazing. If you have questions that you want to send in, send them to life at forefrontchurch.tv or put them on the communication card if you're at church on Sunday. Excited to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.